Welcome to 501 Crossroads. This is your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, Executive Director of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. And we've got my fabulous co-host, Natalie Jabonski, the nonprofit ninja. That's right, specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. Natalie, today we're going to talk about something that strikes fear in the hearts of just about everybody that works in nonprofit, except for those special snowflakes we call development directors. That's right. We're <laughs> going to throw the F-bomb today. We are. And we're talking about fundraising. fundraising. That's right. This is exciting. So there's so many different elements of fundraising, and we've decided the best way to do this is to eat the elephant one bite at a time. So exactly. we're going to kick it off with the conversation all about the art of the ask, that direct ask. We're not going to mm-hmm. talk today about grant writing or proposals. There, there's opportunities for that at a later time. Today we really want to focus on those direct ask gifts. How do we get comfortable with that uncomfortableness? And that is, that's a scary thing to sit down in front of somebody and say, Hey, will you give me some money? Right. It's one thing to write it. Yeah. It's, one, it's something to email, to text. Those are very yeah. passive aggressive, <laughs> right? But face to face to make that ask, to do it appropriately, to make mm-hmm. it where you're comfortable and the donor's comfortable. Exactly. And I think we're going to talk about all of that today, aren't we, Marjorie? I think so. And you know, I think all of our listeners out there have been in a situation where they've had to ask somebody for money, whether it's, Asking mom and dad for a little bit of money to get them through college, or maybe it's uh, actually doing what we do for a living at asking, um, asking a big donor for maybe even a capital gift or even just, you know, that first, you know, $100 gift to get that person started with the organization. We've all had to sit down and, and do that. Um, and it's a scary thing. I think it's, you know, it, it does make you vulnerable. Um, I think there's some techniques that we have that we can talk about that might, you know, help us kind of work through that. Yeah. And I think this is great for our listeners who are not only involved in nonprofits as a staff, but all the board members and volunteers oh, yeah. who ask on behalf of that organization, whether you are asking for a silent auction donation or you're asking for a sponsorship or you're asking an organization to contribute something pro bono. So hopefully you'll get a little bit of advice today that'll help you be more comfortable with the idea of asking someone for something on behalf of your organization. Absolutely. And I think it's so important that our our volunteers and our board members are comfortable with this because honestly, it is so much more successful when somebody you know asks you rather than the stranger that came up to you. It's all about relationships, right? All about relationships. We can't we can't commit that enough on this particular segment. So let's kick off with just going through a recap of what the donor cycle looks like because when we talk about asking for gifts, we have to remember that timing is everything. So mm-hmm. do you want to go through the four steps of the donor cycle, Marjorie, Absolutely. with us? So the first thing is the prospect and the research. And, you know, you've got to, you know, really look into the person. Just do your Googles. So I always say, you know, look into the person, see what else they're giving to. Um, see what they've given to your organization in the past, which is really key, I think. Um, and making sure that that you know what you want to ask them for. If you've got something in your database about, you know, their dog, you know, ask them, you know, be prepared to ask those questions. You know, you have to make sure that any piece of information that your organization has gotten from that donor at any time is, is on your piece of paper when you walk, walk into the room. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about, I think throughout this is having a call plan and that call plan absolutely has to include you know, what's the history of this donor? Yeah, I think that's a pitfall that I see with nonprofits is that you have uh, the, the succession planning. So you have mm-hmm. someone who was doing fundraising or representing the organization as a leader 
and they have moved on to another opportunity and you lose that knowledge base because mm-hmm. no one recorded it anywhere. So whether exactly. you have a software program or you're using something just paper and pen, mm-hmm. it needs to be down with that information so that when you are asking that board member or you're asking the volunteer or the executive director to go and make that ask, or perhaps you're doing it yourself, you want to gather every piece of knowledge that not only you have, but that the organizational uh, knowledge that, that you have in front of you. Exactly. Because if you found out, you know, three years ago that your donor has, or somebody in your organization found out three years ago that your donor has five kids and you only ask them about one, that might look a little weird. Or if you find out, well, one of the kids has, you know, is maybe estranged. Maybe knowing not to ask is the right thing to to go. You want to go into those meetings absolutely prepared. They expect that they talk to one of your staff people, that they talk to everybody. That's right. They expect that the organizational knowledge to transfer throughout uh, different levels of the organization and throughout the longevity. Exactly. So that's really important. So then the next step, of course, once you have your knowledge available, is really cultivating that donor Uh, And it sounds a little bit like gardening, which is perfect for spring, (laughs) but really that's it. So you are sowing the seeds of knowledge and starting the relationship. Going back to one of our earlier episodes about relationship building, it's all about building that relationship with the donor, with you that represents the organization. So really working that to your advantage, knowing the knowledge, but also making sure that you're listening. Oh, God, that's so important. Oh, I've seen (laughs) so many fundraisers, professional fundraisers tank. Because they're so adamant about making sure that you know how important this organization is. And they almost are like in your face with talking and they never bother to listen to the donor and they disengage with yeah. the donor because of that. Absolutely. People mirror the behavior. So, you know, you want to make sure that that you're listening because they'll listen to you if you're listening to them. Um, one of the things that my development director says all the time when I'm pushing him to make the ask or maybe pushing him too fast he keeps going, you know, it's development. It's not a quickie. It's development. It's not a quickie. And that's where this cultivation part comes in big time. Great point. Absolutely. But people can get stuck there. Oh, yeah. It's very easy to get stuck in that. Um, both, the, I think, the prospecting research and the cultivation part and doing all of that preparation as procrastination mm-hmm. so that you don't have to get to the next part, the scary part, mm-hmm. the solicitation part. <laughs> See, now I am one of those uh, unique individuals. This is my favorite part of the entire cycle. I love to ask people because if it's done right, I've done my homework, I've created that relationship, and I'm so excited because what I'm doing is I'm presenting the opportunity to make a connection between what they told me was strategically important in their life with what's strategically important with our organization. Exactly. And to watch that spark, to watch someone lean in when you when you make those connections, that's like fireworks on the 4th of July. It's exactly. phenomenal. If you're doing your job right, you don't even have to ask sometimes. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But we still want to make sure that we're prepped for ask. So yes. we'll talk about that a few in a few more minutes. And then, of course, this is the part where I think I see more nonprofits drop the ball. Exactly. It's the follow-up part and yes. the stewardship. And honestly, I think that's the part where I think a lot of people in general, it's it's very difficult to do follow-up no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But here it's so important because somebody has just not only have you asked them for money, a lot of times they've actually given you that check while you were there. Um, and, you know, you've got to make sure you say thank you. And even worse, if, if you've asked them and they've said, I'll think about it, to not follow up on that, that's a killer. And if you've <laughs> done every step right up to this point, mm-hmm. you know the unique way in which that donor wants to have that stewardship process happen. Absolutely. Do they want flowers and a big grand announcement? 
-hmm. or do they want to be more quiet and anonymous? Would they prefer a handwritten thank you note from the board chair because they're friends with them as opposed to yourself? Absolutely. So it's knowing those different pieces and then not just after the gift, but continued after the gift until as part of the cultivation until you're ready to go back and have another conversation with them. It's really just one big circle because all of that information that you get goes right back into your prospecting and you start it all over again and you... You, once you have it done, you're almost always in all four of those modes, except for maybe solicitation. You're not always asking. And if you do you it be right, that jerk. Yeah. <laughs> if you do it right as that circle, you can gain great momentum. Mm-hmm. But if Absolutely. you trip up, such as at the ask, mm-hmm. not pulling that, you know, momentum to be able to do the ask, that's where the problem falls in. So that's what we're really going to focus on today, giving you some ideas on, on what's important within the ask. I think one of the areas that I've seen is all about gaining confidence. Oh, absolutely. It's the idea of putting yourself out there. You know, there is a TED Talk that was done by Dr. Ivan Joseph. Mm-hmm. He talks all about the value of being prepared. So we just went through the, the cycle, right, the giving yep. cycle. And we, I still see people who zoom over that thinking if they have 10 minutes of Google search and a couple little notes, they oh. can just go out there and ask. And then what happens when they get the questions that they're uncomfortable answering and they they stutter step and they they walk into a landmine that they weren't prepared for because they didn't do their research appropriately. And this is where I see then, of course, you shoot down your confidence. Okay. So the next time you go, you are, your confidence has been chipped away at to the point that you're almost nervous for asking because you're not doing your due diligence. And absolutely, you know, I think that, you know, getting those, those wins as, um, you know, when you do actually get to the ask portion, getting those wins is almost like a truck where it's like, Okay, this is good. I can do it again. This is yes. good. I can do it again. And that, that no or that trip really can send you down a really far hill. Um, you know, kind of as you're shaking off your, your drugs. <laughs> the other thing that he speaks about during his TED talk is the value of practice. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I have practiced my sales pitch, if you will, for solicitation to everyone in my household, including my dogs. Uh, they Lots, donated yeah. many bones to the organizations <laughs> I represented. Uh, they're very impressed. But uh, whether you are looking in a mirror, looking at a, a family member, uh, talking to a neighbor, and or maybe just while you're gardening, right? Absolutely. Practicing it over and over because you want those words to come very natural. Yes. You want to anticipate what those tough questions might be and how you might answer them because mm-hmm. I think that helps you gain confidence. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I know that there are words that I tend to trip up on a lot, um, especially when I get nervous. Um, knowing that I've planned out and I've thought about what I'm going to say really well makes a huge difference. I even do it on my way to... The, the meeting to make sure that, you know, I've got it all in my head right now. It's all together. You know, note cards. Mm-hmm. Note, cards are note cards are great. <laughs> and I think I've done so many sessions where I've done back and forth role play, mm-hmm. especially with key volunteers and board members who are representing our organization. They tend to be so, the most nervous that I've seen in, in this process because yeah. it's not their daily activity where we represent this organization as part of our job for them. It's a passion, but not necessarily mm-hmm. a skill set that they feel quote qualified to speak about. And that's interesting how I see that. So their, their confidence is really shaken. And when we do some role play, we can throw out some, so what if I would ask this question? How Mm -hmm. would you answer that? And when I get the deer in the headlights, I don't know, how would you answer it? (laughs) Now I'm telling them. So they realize that together we've went through potential scenarios of what that might look like. And I think that's very helpful for, for those uh, members who are asking on behalf of your organization. Really quick question. How have you convinced your, your board members or your volunteers that that stuff's really important? 
the, sometimes they're so busy that it's the role playing jump into it. Yeah. So I will not give that volunteer or that board member the assignment until we've role played. Okay. Fantastic. So I hold the information because what happens is inevitably I say, okay, so here's John Smith and we're going to talk to John Smith about donating this to the organization. You and I will meet in a few weeks. We're going to go practice how this works. I, every time that board member, that volunteer ends up seeing John Smith and his family or an associate mm-hmm. out to dinner or after church or whatever it might be, and they pull them aside and they rush into it quickly because they think, oh, it's now or never. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and it, it just goes terribly bad. And then, of course, it chips away back again at the confidence of that donor thinking, I can't do this, when the reality Absolutely. is they can. They're the best yeah. person to do that. Absolutely. You want to give them that win. So setting them up for real success is so important. And, and making sure that your donor is ready to be to have that ask happen. Yeah. That goes back to the cultivation, knowing your donor and building that relationship. You made the great reference, the unicorn, that they give a gift before you even ask, right? Exactly. Uh, but you want to make sure that you are cluing into those tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they physically leaning into you? Are they giving you those nonverbal clues? Are they mm-hmm. asking the money questions, such as, well, how does much does something like that cost? Mm-hmm. Well, what type of donations will you be looking for? Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of direct and indirect clues, and sometimes money never even comes up, mm-hmm. but you know that at this point you've cultivated them to the point where they're expecting you to do something else, yeah. to take them to the dance, if you will. Exactly. My favorite question to get out of a donor is, well, how do you think I can help you? <laughs> Oh, that's my favorite. If I could get every donor to ask oh, that question, wouldn't that be great? That's like teeing up the ball right yeah. before golf. Oh, I love it. You know, and the other big piece, I think, with this, when we're talking about going back to gaining confidence, is avoiding that negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. And it's bad enough that we sit there and talk about it to each other. What if they do this? What if they do that? You had mentioned on the way there, you're practicing. Yeah. So what you don't want to do is on the way there going, oh, my gosh, if this doesn't work out, I can't imagine. I, <laughs> I, I hope I can remember everything that Natalie told me to say. <laughs> and you start chipping away from that. And really the, the thoughts that you have will influence your actions. Absolutely. Whether you know it or not, meaning verbal or nonverbal. So you mentioned tripping up verbally. Mm-hmm. What about the nonverbals that we do because we're saying yes, but we're shaking our head no and not oh, realizing it. Yeah. Or, or hunching our body over instead of being calm and, and collective with you know, our shoulders. There's so many different ways that we have negative self-talk that can influence our actions. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that confidence building goes back to a show we did a couple, couple of weeks ago with Tracy Bianco mm-hmm. about public speaking. But so much of what we talked in that, I think you know, if anybody's kind of wondering about how to get their confidence up, that show is a good one to kind of reference back to because I think we talked about some really good tips there. Of, you know, I know my tip to be enthusiastic, you must ask enthusiastic. It's a good one <laughs> for this particular scenario. It is. And, the, you know, the key to gaining confidence for me is always about the confidence does not mean that you're cocky. Oh, absolutely. Because I have seen both. Mm-hmm. And uh, confidence is a turn on. Mm-hmm. Being cocky turn off. turn off. Yep. So it's the same in dating, right? <laughs> it is the same as dating. You know, donor development is a lot like dating. There is a lot, a of, lot of similarities <laughs> with it. And so you want to make sure, and if you ask yourself or you're asking yourself at this time, well, I wonder which one am I? If you ask someone, a close confidant, a mentor, someone who's seen you do this, and they're a good friend of yours, they'll tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. And if you, someone asks you, I challenge you to tell them the truth because you're only benefiting your organization when you work together. Yeah. So I know one of the things that um, makes a lot of people uncomfortable is this asking part. So I think being comfortable with that uncomfortable space oh. is so important. Um, you know, that part where, where you ask, you say, so and so, you know, will you give me money? 
and that silent space that you know you you know you're supposed to keep your mouth shut. Right. So if they you say don't, something. So if you if you're listening to this and you don't know that, let's let's clue them in on the secret of of the of the pause, right? So I've always embodied the idea that the first one who speaks typically loses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no losing in fundraising. Right. Right. <laughs> but it's the idea that you want to put it out there, and then you want to pause and embrace the silence, mm-hmm. and that can make people extremely uncomfortable. Exactly. Just and like public that. speaking. Yeah. They're scared of that pause. They're scared of that. And they want to jump right in and start talking and justifying why that ask is appropriate and why they're the yeah. perfect person. And I know it's a lot of money, but you know, we really need it. Right. And, the, and then the begging starts. Yeah. And it's not, you don't need that at all. You, if you've done your research, right, this is not a problem. Mm-hmm. This is embracing the pause and enjoying it to happen. Because I think what happens is when people are trying to get comfortable with that uncomfortable, it just, Let's just say it. Asking makes you vulnerable. It really does. And there was a, a great TED Talk that was on, and it was by someone that maybe a lot of our nonprofits haven't heard of. Her name is uh, Amanda Palmer. Mm-hmm. She's a rock star musician. She's super cool, right? Very, very <laughs> hip slick and cool. Um, I, I admire her in many ways. Her uh, very makeup ca- game is on point. <laughs> very carefree. <laughs> but she goes through her TED Talk all about how asking can make you so vulnerable and how she mm-hmm. used the art of the ask throughout her lifestyle as a, a rock artist, as a musician. And I, it was there was nothing that was more on point than mm-hmm. feeling that because who likes to feel vulnerable? Yeah, none of us do. No, no. <laughs> because so many things can happen. And when we mm-hmm. open ourselves up, we could get hurt mm-hmm. or someone could say no. Mm-hmm. And then do we turn, you know, internalizing that no to meaning they've rejected us, not rejected the organization, but now it's personal and what have I done wrong? And, and then we go back to the confidence problem. Mm-hmm. So I really think that one of the areas that we can do is to be able to learn to be comfortable with this uncomfortable. And there's lots of great tips out there to do that. Yeah. One of the, the really great ones is from Joan Gary again. I mean, yeah, we love her. Yes. Now I don't love the title of this article because I am a lifelong Girl Scout, but, um, one of the articles that she had is Girl Scout fundraising is very unhealthy. And one of the things she talks about is that constantly promising somebody something in, in return for their gifts. So promising the cookies in return for your four dollars is, is not really a healthy way to view fundraising. So looking at that and saying, you know, and we do it. I mean, we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. If for this amount of, if we give me $10,000, I'll give you two tables at my event. Mm-hmm. Or um, if you give me $5,000, I'll say your name three times at the event or something like that. Right. Donors don't always need those tangibles. Um, some do, but right. by far people don't. <laughs> they just want to know what they're giving makes a difference and exactly. how it makes a difference and how you decided to ask them, mm-hmm. which is typically the questions that we don't get to. Instead, we're so busy building up this ROI on what we think our donors want that we fail to ask them. Yeah, because really our work is, what was the ROI on your client's life? So how did you change a life because of the donations that you've already received? And how many more lives or how what what other benefits can you give to people with this donation? I think is far more enticing than how many cookies can you give me? Although I really like Girl Scout cookies. I do too. And I don't want to hate on the Girl Scout cookies yeah. either. In fact, if any of our listeners uh, would like to drop some by, you feel free. We'll yeah. take them at any time. They'll yeah. be delicious. Yep. Anytime. And <laughs> I, I, I will be honest, Natalie, I have a personal um, rule of my own. I never, I never turn out a Girl Scout that actually comes up to me and asks me to buy cookies, um, which some years ends up Having we have a lot I was going to say you're going to have a light outside the door yeah. here when we leave, but especially <laughs> so, if they're in uniform. Yeah. How cute. Oh, they're so adorable. But, you know, I was a Girl Scout up until, like, high school, so, like, the high school girls in the uniform, not as cute. 
but they they need that cookie money just as much. So. They do, so they have to they have to make sure that they're uh, working yeah. every angle, including hitting up Marjorie for yeah. cookies. I will be here in January when you're ready to sell them. <laughs> so one of the things that Joan Gary says in this article is the value of storytelling and exchanging stories. Yes. And again, this is not just about us telling stories, but listening to the donor and ask them to, to tell stories. So oh, yeah. tell us a story about your motivation. So what ignited you uh, with your passion about the organization? Make them understand why it's important to you mm-hmm. and then ask them why it's important to them or reverse it. Ask them first and then tell, you know, you tell them depending on what your comfort level is with that donor. Absolutely. And we've got somebody coming on the show in a couple of weeks, Wendy Dyer, who is going to be talking a lot about um, how to get your story and make it really nice and polished so that it really sizzles with the donor, which I think is going to be a really interesting show. Fantastic. And yeah, that's another one all about, you know, the the quality of the work and what the work does. And Mm -hmm. some people may know you and think you're great and think the concept of the organization is great, but they Mm -hmm. haven't really made the connection between who you are, Mm -hmm. what you do and who it impacts. Oh, absolutely. And that is really the goal of any nonprofit organization representative, regardless of what role, quote unquote, that they're mm-hmm. in is to be able to make that connection for people when they meet them. Yeah. And to really let them know your clients, um, even if you can't bring a client with you, which is impossible in almost all situations, but really painting a story that's that's impactful enough to let them see really get peek into that person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, when they see the lives you're changing with your work, it's hard to say no. Yeah, so. I agree. And I've had some fun development staff say to me before, well, I can ask, but they really don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from blank, whether mm-hmm. it be their director of operations or their executive director mm-hmm. or whoever that might be in their organization. And I can tell you that although that is true for some, it's really important, and, and this is one of the other pieces in the article, if you have stories about your staff or your leadership mm-hmm. that helps them feel connected even when that person's not at the table. Mm-hmm. So I always have a piece that I can tell that's recent that's about something that my executive did. Mm-hmm. or that one of my board members did that really inspired me or that inspired our clients, uh, that made an impact. And it's, I always keep that available. And it's not like a bag of tricks. This is mm-hmm. something that's re- that's recent that I witnessed that I make notes on. And I use that for different clients that I meet with so that they that's are great. really feeling like they're connected to that person, even if that person's not at the table. Yeah, there we have a story that I tell about my founder just about anywhere we go. And my staff makes fun of me of it because I do say it a lot, but usually to different audiences. But it really lets people know, like, that, you know, that DNA that goes through the organization, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that just popped up yesterday. Like, this is, this is how we do things. Yeah. And, you know, letting your donors know how we do things is really important. It's very important. And yeah. they want to know not only how are you doing them, mm-hmm. but they want to look at the trends that are emerging within your area mm-hmm. and how that's going to impact your organization. Where is that going to take the organization? They want to, they want oh, yeah. to be in the know because yeah. they're reading the news. They're keeping up with trends. Obviously, they're mm-hmm. passionate about your organization or they wouldn't accepted your invitation. Oh, exactly. So they are in the know of what's happening within your trend, and they want to know that you are in the know as well, and making oh, yeah. them comfortable in stewarding that gift. And donors are so impressed when they know what you're doing to move not only your mission, but the total mission that you're involved in forward. So let's say that you're doing homeless services and you're, you're, you're a daytime service. They want to know how are you working with the evening services? How are you working with the soup kitchens? How are you working with everybody to move everybody forward? And you collaborate, collaboration is key right now. Um, everybody loves to hear about it and people want to hear about those actual genuine collaborations that you're That's doing. That's right. Because they want to make sure that their dollars are going beyond just your mission, mm-hmm. but serving that client or that group or that cause in a bigger yeah, way. Exactly. 
And I think that's so important. And, you know, the other piece that was in that TED Talk uh, that Amanda Palmer was in was she was telling talking about if you connect with people, mm-hmm. they will help you. Yeah. And it was such an impactful statement. She went on to give examples. But really the, the piece of it is we go back to the relationships. People give to people. Oh, yeah. Now, they give to organizations, but they give to the people who represent those organizations. Absolutely. If you don't trust somebody, you're not going to give to that person. I couldn't agree more, Marjorie. Absolutely. That's that's the whole key piece with this, which is why it goes back to why those relationships are so important. So so we've done all of our homework. We've Mm -hmm. prepared. Our dogs are very impressed with our presentation that we (laughs) practice. So uh, we're getting more comfortable with the uncomfortable. So what do we say? What are the words that that we should have coming out of our mouth. There's yeah. all sorts of conversation around this. Experts that say you should totally do this or do that. What have you heard? What research have you heard? So one of the ones that I, I recently read was from the fundraising coach. And uh, I love him. He wears a little bow tie on his, on his website. But what he says, he says there's really two phrases that, that are just really helpful. And they're very similar, but they're, they're close. Um, one is, would you consider a gift of X amount, whatever your amount is? Um, and that's a lot, I think a little bit softer than saying, will you give me a hundred dollars or will you give me a thousand dollars? Consider it puts it on them. You know, it gives them that chance to negotiate with you, maybe mm-hmm. to talk a little bit more. Um, it doesn't make them feel obligated to give that gift, but probably gives them the chance to, to give. Well, and what I love about that technique is that you are asking for a dollar amount. Mm-hmm. And because if you say, would you consider supporting our organization? So maybe that's a little softer sounding, mm-hmm. right? And someone who's nervous about this might say, yes, Natalie, I love that concept. Mm-hmm. So here's the problem with that. They might say, oh, yes, I'd love to support you. Here's a check for $25. Mm-hmm. And all the research and work you had done, you were you were gearing up for a $25,000 yeah. ask. <laughs> And they had no idea the connection that you were trying to make there. And they may have not even considered you for a gift that size because no one had ever asked them to do that. Exactly. You know, donors surprise you all the time with, you know, they're looking for cues from you as to how much they should give or how much other people are giving so that, and that's why, you know, a lot of times, and we'll probably talk sometime about this, um, giving societies are so mm-hmm. important. gives people an idea of what's appropriate to give this organization. What do they need? So the other one that I really like from the fundraising yes, the other question is is actually just kind of being honest with them. If you you know are a little nervous of the amount, you're just not so sure that maybe your research is good. Just be honest and say honestly, I have no idea how much to ask you for, but is a gift of X amount something that you'd be able to consider? Oh, I love that. Yeah, and then that way you know again balls in their court. And this is one where you really have to shut up after this. Yes, like, you don't need to justify it anymore. They may say. That sounds right. Or they might say, you know what? I was actually thinking bigger amount or smaller amount. Now, have you ever (laughs) used a technique similar to this and had them laugh at you? I have never had a donor laugh at me. (laughs) Oh, I I have. We'll have to tell stories at some point. Um, I've had stories where I I wasn't sure if we were on the money or not, but Mm -hmm. I knew what this person's commitment was. And I've asked before for gifts that were beyond uh, their reach. It was considered a sacrificial gift. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, both the, the spouse, uh, and the, the individual I was asking laughed. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, once they, one, and I let them laugh. And, you know, I think the key there is, again, being comfortable and going through and, um, making sure you knew your story. It resulted mm-hmm. in a great gift, but I didn't jump in when they laughed. I let them laugh. I let them talk about it. And that was important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People need that chance, especially when you're looking at a couple. They need the chance to talk. They need the chance to think about it. 
You know, I know I've even left the room sometimes if the donors ask me to. And yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Okay Agreed. Do. Agreed. So now how do you ask, Natalie? Well, for me, I think it's all about making sure that they understand the connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I mean by that is I've done my research. I've done all this work to get us to this point. So I want to make sure that based on the relationship I built, I, I go about the point saying something like, I know how much this program means to you because of X, Y, Z and tell them that's, you know, the story that I remember, mm-hmm. which is why I want to talk to you more about how you can support this program. So they really understand why I'm asking them and how I made that connection because not everyone can do that. Mm-hmm. And it really helps the donor to say, oh, yes, that is important to me. And thank you for connecting those dots. And now I see, now I'm engaged in the conversation. I think that's really important. And it's important for me to be able to make sure that they understand where they fit in the big picture and why we're asking for that amount. Absolutely. You know, that's really a, a tough one to make sure that they know how they fit, mm-hmm. um, whether they're the lead gift, whether they're somewhere in the middle gift, whether they're, you, know, you don't want anybody to think they're just another gift, but you know, whether they're kind of in your middle tier, mm-hmm. you know, you want people to know that, Hey, they're a really important part of this mission. We can't do that without them. That's right. And regardless of it's a $25 gift or a $25 million gift, how does that impact the organization <laughs> and why is it important to our organization that we're mm-hmm. asking them at this time? That's really important. Absolutely. You know, and my way, favorite way to ask, like I asked, like I mentioned, is that joyful gift where somebody asked, actually asked me what they should be doing, which is apparently my favorite. So you <laughs> so like unicorns. I really like unicorns. <laughs> I really like unicorns. I, I go into every donor meeting hoping to meet a unicorn and I've luckily met plenty in my day because honestly, just like most of our listeners, I, I, that ask part, it's the scariest part, but knowing those key phrases, that fundraising coach put up was was a good one. Good. So, well, hopefully yeah. the tips that we gave our listeners today will help you when you are gearing up for that next next direct ask. Yeah. And it's been exciting to be here again with you. And thanks so much. Absolutely. And I hope our listeners will let us know if they used any of these tips and found them helpful. Um, let us know if you got that $25,000 million dollar gift. That would be fantastic. Um, we're looking to hear from you. Um, 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. And me, Natalie Jablonski. And Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave, leave us some feedback so others can find us. Um, you can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.